Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. And it says, Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad. Irad begat Mahujiel, and Mahujiel begat Methushael, and Methushael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah, and Adah bare Jabel. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and pipe. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, the forger of every cutting instrument of brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. I have slain a man for wounding me, and a young man for bruising me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly, Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. Now, shortly after this, we get into the genealogy of Seth. Seth is more or less the replacement for Abel. Eve was thrilled to have another son. Cain's gone bad. Abel, the good son, is dead. And Seth comes along. Now, having read that short genealogy of Cain, then we're going to now go to the salient points I've extracted from these genealogies. So I will make reference to the genealogy of Seth, but I won't read it to you, and you'll have to go back and reference that. And one of the first things I want to mention about these genealogies is the significance of the names. And this won't take long to cover this. But the names in the ancient Near East always meant something. I don't know what my name means, and I don't think my parents had in mind anything when they named me, but in the ancient Near East, they named somebody because there was a reason they gave them that name, and the name bore that definition. And notice Eve didn't have a proper name until after the fall. I don't know how Adam referred to her, but uh, I'm sure it wasn't, woman, come here. Aren't you women convinced it wasn't, woman? <laughs> or maybe it was, and she wasn't offended by that. I don't know. But after the fall, the Bible says Adam 
gave Eve a name. And the whole act of giving somebody a name is uh, very significant as well. In naming somebody, there are implications of subservience and authority. And in case you're going places where I'm not going, be cautious. But definitely, there was an implication in him giving her a name. Just like, and it goes back to Adam naming the beasts because Adam was in authority and had the power to give them that name. So there's implications there that are very interesting, but not where we're going with this today. So now Eve has a name because, the Bible says, I'll call her Eve, because she is the mother of all mankind. And then Adam's name is the same as the Hebrew word for man. So he just took the name man or Adam. And then we have the names of the children, Cain, Abel, Seth, Enos, Enoch. These are all examples of simple names that meant something. But as, as the naming uh, evolved, the, the names made larger statements. They weren't just a one-word meaning, but they made statements. And in the ancient Near East, they began to adopt the practice of incorporating a reference to their god in their name. The heathens did that, and certainly these people in the line of Cain and line and Seth eventually began to do that. Because after you have these simple names like Seth and Cain and Enos and Enoch, then we begin to see names that bore the, uh, the syllable E-L. If you see a name that ends in E-L in the uh, ancient Hebrew tradition or in the Jewish tradition, then that was a reference to El, E-L, short for Elohim. And if you see a name that begins with uh, J-E-H, Jehoiakim, that was a reference to Jehovah. So references to God were now being incorporated in the names of people. And like I said, the ancients did that as well. The uh, Assyrian king, Ashurbanipal, gets his name from the Asher God. And his name literally means, like I said, some of these names mean actual statements associated with them. His name means the God Asher has created an heir. Nebuchadnezzar, many of you are familiar with the Babylonian king. And his name comes from the, the God, the Mesopotamian God Nebu. And Nebuchadnezzar means Nebu, preserve my firstborn son. The Egyptian king Ramses, we pronounce it, R-A-M-S-A-S. And the R-A prefix on that is a reference to Ra, the Egyptian sun god. So there's evidence of these names bearing an identity of their god. We get into the line of Cain and the line of Seth. And we see these prefixes and these suffixes with Jehu, Jeho, or E-L on the end, or uh, I-A-L. And they're all what we would call theophoric names because they have a reference to God. And interestingly, by the third generation from Adam, both the lines of Cain and the line of Seth begin to give their children theophoric names. In Cain's line... 
And I read these names, Mahujael, E-L, that's a reference to God. In Seth's line, we have that first showing up in Mahalalel, E-L. The second noteworthy bit of trivia in this, before we really dive into the, uh, the meat of this message, is that the age span is interesting. We didn't read much about the age span in Cain's lineage, but you get over into Seth's lineage, and you start finding these interesting things. Adam lived 930 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. Enos lived 905. Seth himself lived 912 years. And then there's an interesting riddle that most of you have probably heard, but if you haven't heard it, then you can have fun with this one with your kids, your grandkids, or somebody. The oldest man that ever lived, but died before his father did. A little limerick, a little rhyme. And the riddle, of course, is, I'm not going to tell you, you know what it is. If you don't, ask your neighbor. So how do these people live hundreds of years? We've tried to resolve this uh, by understanding a different approach to the text. Uh, some people have suggested that those years were not our years. And they've made lame attempts to explain away 900 and some odd years for people living. Some said it's moon years. Well, you only lose five days a year, so that doesn't explain. I mean, what, they lived 800 instead of 900, and that's easier to deal with? Not really. Uh, some suggested that they weren't using a base 10 counting system, but that's not the case because uh, history and research records that they definitely were using a base 10. So, you know, is this just exaggeration? Is this... Uh, uh, literary expression that doesn't really, years don't mean years. Uh, what is this all about? The simplest explanation is they probably lived that long. And you're in a pristine world that has not yet been tainted by the curse and there's not all the diseases that we have today that uh, shortens people's lives. So they were probably living that long and probably by God's design so that the world could be more rapidly populated. So if you try to change this by suggesting a different uh, number system other than base 10, so that, uh, for instance, let's, let's say that 100 years is code for 10 years. 969 would be 96 years old. And we feel more comfortable with that because we know a few people living in their 90s and, and early 100s. But the problem with that is, if you use uh, 100 years equals 10 years, then uh, Seth beget, beget his son Enos when he was 10 years old. Canaan begat Mahaliel when he was eight, and Enoch begat Methuselah when he was six, and that doesn't work. So let's just stick with the length of years, okay? Somebody lives 900 and some years in that uh, world that has not yet been completely tainted by the curse. Now the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Two genealogies revealing some very interesting facts when we compare them. First of all, we, we see both of them have an Enoch. One is famous for his spiritual walk. The other one we don't know much about. He had a city named after him. That was Cain's Enoch. 
and they have both of them have a, a Lamech. Uh, one of them we don't know much about, but the other one is notoriously evil. Other names in the two gene genealogies are strikingly similar because I guess they hadn't got really creative on names yet and a handful of names were floating around and everybody used them. So we see a lot of similarities with very slight variations. Both of the genealogies are linear following only one descent to head the next generation not naming all of the children that certain people bore but just one of them and following that through until you get to the end of the list and then you begin to see it breaking out in branches where you've got the the, the sons of Noah and uh, it starts branching out but it stays very very single and very linear for quite a while and then one of the things about these two lineages is we have commonly heard people suggest that the line of Cain is wicked and the line of Seth is righteous and godly. And really, they were all fallen creatures. And Moses does highlight in Cain's line some of the wicked things that happened and he does highlight in Seth's line some of the remarkable spiritual things that happened. But he's not insinuating that the line of Cain was all heathen and the line of Seth was all godly because that goes against the very fundamental fact that all have sinned. All have fallen. But nevertheless, there's something significant about the fact that Moses highlights the wickedness that happened within Cain's lineage and highlights the, the, the good spiritual accomplishments within the line of Seth. In the line of Cain, violence and murder is again highlighted in a man called Lamech. And Lamech is this, this egotistical, wild man that has two wives, and he kills a man, and then he breaks out in this little what is known among scholars as the Song of the Sword. And he sings this song to his two wives, and he says, I have slain a man who wounded me, and I, a young man who hurt me. And if Cain gets avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech will be avenged seventy and sevenfold. So his wickedness is exceeded only by his ego. He's proud of the fact that he carries on the, tr the tradition of Cain, his forefather. But then, in the line of Cain, we see some interesting things happening. As Lamech takes two wives, and they bear three notable sons that made major contributions to the development and the advancement of civilization. We have animal husbandry, in which includes the animal domestication, and we have the development of musical instruments, and we have metalworking. His three sons made these contributions, which are still valuable tools of civilization today. Power and powerful and significant developments that came from the lineage of Cain. Cain, the murderer. Now, this messes with my mind. 
Because I like things nice and neat and in apple pie order. Cain is a wretch. I don't see any good thing rightfully coming from Cain or his family because he's a nasty man. Seth's a good man. All the good stuff needs to come from good people, right? And all the bad stuff comes from bad people. When bad people produce good stuff, it messes with my theology. Now, I, I'm a sinner by birth, but I try to be a decent person. I desire to please God. But in this messy world we live in, all the blessings don't flow to me. Some of them blow, flow to nasty people. And I have conversations with God about this all the time. It goes something like this. God, I am down here trying to do your work. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to do the right thing. Yet this, this nasty guy down the road that I know... He's very, he's very comfortable, he's got, his kids are doing great, you know, he, he's living in a nice home, he's got a great income, everything is going his way, and he's not even living for you. Why is it he's doing so good and we're struggling? Now, I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with God, but I've had enough of them for all of us. So that's okay. Because see, in my mind, like I said, I like everything in order. You do right, you live right, and then that's where good things ought to happen. It's the people who aren't loving God that ought to be suffering and struggling. But they don't. So what is it that we see in the line of Cain that it's the line of Cain, the wretched murderer, that makes all these wonderful contributions to civilization. Now Seth's line makes spiritual contributions. But we don't see these earth-moving, ground-breaking developments like the, the metalworking and the animal husbandry and the, uh, the musical instruments, all fine things that are developed by the descendants of the first murderer. And you know what this speaks to us about? Here's one of the most powerful first points of reading the geologies we can get is we get a lesson on the grace of God. The only reason good things come from bad people is because of the grace of God. He allows that in spite of the fact. And if we have a problem with that, then we need to back up and say, what makes you think you deserve anything anyway? Because as, as much as I try to live a righteous life, and I try to please God... I still have to come to grips with I am, in fact, unworthy of anything that God would do for me. I haven't earned a thing. What blessings I do have didn't become because I made enough points with heaven. Everything I have, all the blessings I have, come for only one reason, the grace of God. So I, I see the grace of God more clearly Coming from the lost world. From a perspective looking at them, I see the grace more clearly. I'm thinking, they don't deserve that. Why do they have it? It's the grace of God. I see it more clearly in them than I do in my own life. So I have to really realign my viewpoint here, and I have to look at myself and say, but all that I have is due to the grace of God. Thank God I didn't deserve anything he has given me. And that keeps me from thinking, 
that I did deserve it somehow, which is kind of arrogant and egotistical. After all, I'm, I'm living a good life. I deserve what I got. It's about time, God. This is payback for me being so good. But that's not the way it is, is it? So we see a great and strong message of grace coming just from leading, reading the, the account of the genealogy of Cain and the good things that came out of it. Cain became a city builder. And today, cities are a mess. People oftentimes want to move out of the city and get into the country. So what did Cain get us into? Well, Cain built a city, and cities are not bad. It's what wicked people do with the things that have been developed. So it wasn't Cain's fault that people made cities uh, a place of, of great wickedness and high crime. But it's the sinfulness of man. Now, this, this concept that I said we struggle with, we read the good things that came out of the line of Cain. I'm not the only one that has uh, theological problems with that. Jeremiah struggled with that very same thing in the 12th chapter. He asked this question. He said, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? You planted them, so they have taken root. They are growing. They are bearing fruit. You are near in their mouth yet not far from their mind. So God, why are you doing this all to the wicked people? Jeremiah didn't understand it. It's a perplexity that goes from generation to generation. Job had questions about this when he was suffering so deeply. And Job said this, why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock and their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry with the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. And Job is sitting here suffering. And saying, if I was a heathen, I'd have it better than I do as a godly man. Yet, Job concludes, they say to God, leave us alone. We don't have any desire to know your ways. Now, what's with that, God? They don't want anything to do with you. And look how easy their life is. Or perhaps you've wondered why you spent your life trying to serve the Lord and honor him. And why good people that you love and respect in this world needs more good people seem to die young. And the wretched old people live on forever, like cockroaches. <laughs> Can't wipe them out. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm just amazed. I, I know many godly people whose lives have come to an early end. But then you look at somebody like George Burns. Uh, who proudly had uh, several cigars a day and, and loved his martinis. And these are the things that I was always told when I was growing up that'll kill you. Smoking will kill you. The alcohol will kill you. This guy lived to be 100 years old, still performing. And you go, what, what is going on here? Something is not right with this picture. Job struggled with it. Jeremiah struggled with it. We tend to believe it's an injustice that cannot be explained. Thank God for grace. I've got to keep my eyes off everybody else and thank God for grace. And if grace pours out on me and it slops over on other people, it's none of my business, is it? When you see somebody that you think is not deserving, but they're prospering, 
think, thank God for grace. Because grace applies to me too. Then we get to the line of Seth. And that's the fifth chapter. Once again, that's the one I'm not going to read to you. But I'm going to reference it for you. And the gene genealogy of Seth, even though there, there were sinners in the line of Seth, the genealogy that is given does not mention one scandal in this line. So the contrast is very obvious as we look at the scandals that happen in the line of Cain and then we look at the scandal-free genealogy that Moses assembles. Moses is trying to say something. And at the birth of Seth's son Enos, it says, if you care to go back and read that, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And we see these two genealogies, these streams diverging. Cain becomes the city builder and names his first city after his son. Seth has a son named Enos, which is very similar to Cain's son. Cain's son, Enoch. Seth's son, Enos. Enos, as I said. Not a lot of creativity on their names. But Cain's son gets a city named after him. What does Seth's son do? Seth's son virtually became the father of worship. Seth's son Enos was born and he was an inspiration and a leader and a ramrod in putting together this, this uh, new concept, this revolutionary new concept. Instead of just living, instead of just existing, how about let's systematically worship God. And People began to like that. They, they didn't do this to the degree in the fashion that Enos had inspired people to do it. So he became the father of worship. Regular times, systematic ways, giving thanks and appreciation to God. Like I said, we saw all these cultural contributions that the line of Cain makes. But out of the line of Seth comes things that are pointing more towards God and teaching people how important it is not only to believe there is a God, but to worship God. That's the reason you're here today. There's a lot of people out there that believe in God, but they don't make it a practice of worshiping God. You have come to the point in your life where you understand how important that is to worship Him. You worship Him with your dedicated presence on Sunday. That's a form of worship. A lot of things that you could be home doing today other than being here. And you chose not to do them. You chose to come and be a part of attending God's house and listening to the preaching of the Word and focusing your mind on Him while we sing songs about about God and to God, you worship Him. That You have made that an important priority in your life. It's more than just believing there is a God. It's coming to that point where you understand He deserves regular, systematic worship.
And then the next significant comment as they go from the begats and they don't stop to make comments, the next significant comment though is there's a special note about a man named Enoch. And before we get into this count of Enoch, uh, let's make this interesting observation. We, we find it both noteworthy that uh, both Lamech and Enoch, Lamech from Cain's line, I know there's two Lamechs, but Lamech from Cain's line, Enoch from Seth's line are designated as the seventh from Adam. Yet Cain's seventh, the descendant Lamech, was the wretched man, and Enoch, the seventh, was a spectacularly godly man. Now, I don't like to get into being mystical about numbers, but it is interesting how often that that seven arises without trying to make any bigger deal out of it than that. I'm not into numerology, but there's something significant about that that I don't have the brain power, the intelligence to be able to explain to you what that really is all about. But God has an order. That's the best thing I can say about it. God has a purpose, and God has design, and God has order. So the seventh from Adam on both sides did something very noteworthy. It's, that's where they stop and make comments about what each did. Enoch. Here's an interesting man that we know a, a few things about. We know, number one, he was a prophet. He prophesied. And we find that from the book of Jude. Where it said, And Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Here was a man walking in a crude world that was not wholly developed in its worship. They were just learning the process of worship. Yet here's a man that walked among them that was moved by the power and the Spirit of God to be able to, war to, to, to prophesy. And back in that early era, well, they didn't even have a good idea of the Godhead. They were very rudimentary, very fundamental in who this God was and what he was uh, like. And they just they had very vague ideas and concepts about this. And Enoch steps forward by uh, unctioned by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints. That prophecy coming from that crude era is absolutely remarkable. And you have to know when he says something like that, it raises questions that nobody can answer. Coming, coming from where? Ten thousands of his saints, why? Coming here, what are they going to do? None of it made a bit of sense to anybody who would have heard that prophecy. Yet he was speaking for future generations. He prophesied, number two, he was especially noted for walking with God. Number three, he was especially noted for walking with God in a wicked world. Now that's the real scoop. That's the noteworthy story. It's always been considered virtuous 
to walk with God. It is particularly admirable when you walk with God in the midst of a wicked world who is not walking with God. I have deep concerns about our youth. And I'm sure when I was young, the older generation had deep concerns about the youth. The older generation ought to care about the youth. They ought to adopt them in prayer. They ought to do all they can to disciple them and to shape them. We are the only hope of a, another generation carrying on the tradition of loving God and serving Him by instilling these values in our youth. And if we just hope that they somehow figure it out and join someday, we're not doing our job. So I have deep concerns, and I pray for our youth. I pray that somehow we can be more effective in discipling them to follow the way of the Lord and not the way of the world. Otherwise, we will lose Christianity within one generation if we don't disciple them and bring them in. Our youth today, their challenges are probably greater than certainly anything in my lifetime. And I think it goes back for generations for the challenges, the spiritual challenges that are against the youth today. They're growing up in a very confused world that has little or no respect for God. They don't have any understanding of godly values. They don't have a biblical worldview because many of them don't even own a Bible. Many of them who may even believe there's a God don't attend a Sunday school class and don't get discipled. I have concerns about the youth. I'm not critical. I'm concerned. I care. They're growing up in a world that is filled with lies and deceit. And it's being hammered into them systematically through our education system. And they come out believing what they have been force-fed and reciting talking points, but they're not thinking. They're putting all rationality aside and just citing, reciting what they've been taught to say, but they're not thinking. Therefore, if they've been taught lies, they believe lies. It's propaganda that they're being fed. It's, it's brainwashing that is happening to them. They're growing up in a world of darkness where the prince of darkness has pledged to keep them from ever seeing the light. They're growing up in a culture where the majority of their friends and acquaintances and peers walk in lockstep with the master of deceit. And there is great peer pressure to walk right along with them. I know, I remember the peer pressure when I was a teenager. I remember how it felt to not do what the others were doing. I remember how lonely it felt to be cast out of the in group, the cool group, because I didn't do what they expected me to do. I know what it feels to be lonely, to be an outsider. I know what it is, and it hasn't changed. It's gotten worse. Youth growing up in a world where they expected to conform to the worldly values. 
or they are ostracized. They are kicked out of the in-group. They are loners. They are ridiculed. They are bullied. But once in a while, once in a while, I find a young person who has enough sense, enough presence of mind, enough moral integrity that they absolutely refuse to follow the hell-bound crowd. Once in a while, I find that rare individual, that young person, who chooses to walk with God, who chooses not to walk the way of the world. One of my favorite illustrations throughout all my ministry has been the story of a marching band. You know how much practice it takes to get that many kids to march in synchronization? You can't get kids to do anything together. Band directors are geniuses. And get them out there playing their music and marching in sync. And marching to the rhythm of the music. But out in the middle of this is one who's totally out of sync with everybody. What is the problem? On further investigation, they find out that he has an earpiece and he's listening to his own music. He's marching to his own beat. And I'm thinking of that and say, well, that may not work for band. But I like that illustration. Because I think what we need is young people today that refuse to march with the group. Who've got their own earpiece tuned to God. Who doesn't hear the drumbeat of the world, but hears the drumbeat of heaven. They might look like their own little world, their own confusion, but they're marching to a better song than this world has. They're marching to the beat of God. You might be out of step with the world doing that, but you're in lockstep with the God, with God and with the Holy Spirit. You need not be ashamed when you're different from the rest, when you're marching for God. Once in a while, I find that young person that chooses to walk alone. They don't care what anybody else thinks about what they're doing. They've made their decision they're going to walk with God no matter what it costs them. And it will cost them. The world parties and rebels, but they continue to walk with God because they have an exceptional character and moral integrity. The wildlife calls and beckons and promises fun and thrills and popularity, but they still choose to walk with God because they understand the difference between right and wrong. Popularity is not important to them. Pleasing God is all that matters. I stand in complete awe of any young person who has the maturity and the strength of character and the discipline to walk with God instead of walking with this world. If you choose to walk with God, you may never win any earthly popularity contest, but you are God's hero, and mine too. I'm not impressed by young people who can follow the crowd. 
I'm not impressed by those who can do everything everybody else is doing. I'm not impressed by the young lady who can trade her barter, her body off because all the other young girls are doing the same thing. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by the young people who can follow the drug culture, who can follow the alcohol culture. I'm not impressed. Anybody can do that. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. You don't have to make any effort. You just go with the flow. I'm looking for the one that's going against the grain. They're going upstream when everybody else is going downstream. I'm looking for the one that gets up every day and says, God, I want to please you today, and I want you to give me the strength to make it through because it's not going to be easy. Nobody appreciates the fact that I'm trying to live a righteous life. It's going to cost you persecution but I'm looking at somebody that goes down ought to go down in heaven's hall of fame they choose to do it differently and the fourth thing about Enoch is he was miraculously translated the Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not. Now that's a fascinating terminology. He was not. What does that mean? Can you imagine how Enoch's family continued to tell that story? Let me tell you about Uncle Enoch. This was a man that walked with God. And we lost him. Nobody knows where he went. Poof. There were some people standing around that said they saw it. He just disappeared. Beam me up, Scotty. They tried to describe. He was, and then he wasn't. What happened to him? We don't know. He was just gone. Of course, we know in hindsight the man was walking with God. And God took him. They didn't know if God took him. Where God? Where do people go when God take you? And we understand death. We don't understand being translated. That just didn't happen every day back then. It doesn't happen every day now. But God looked down on a world that was steeped in wickedness, shrouded in darkness, and somewhere buried deep in the folds of the dark veil of this world was this little point of light that the darkness just couldn't overcome. And that point of light was a man named Enoch. And the world danced with the devil, but Enoch chose not to go the world's way. He walked with God, and one day God swooped down and picked him up and rescued him from this wayward world. Mid-stride swept him away. Before he could plant his foot another time, he was gone. And I'm convinced that God is still today searching through this world of darkness, looking for points of light and looking for somebody that he can be proud of. I'm sure God is still 
impressed with people who refuse to follow the world. And I'm asking this morning, I wonder if there's any takers here today. I wonder if you're ready to make a pledge to God that I want to be the one that is walking with you, God. If there's two more, so be it. If there's five of us, so be it. If there's ten of us among a thousand, so be it. But if there's only one, God, I want to be that one. Anybody can follow the world. But it takes somebody special to walk with God. Is there anybody here, any takers, who are willing to renounce their membership in this world and walk with God? Is there anybody here today that is brave enough to take that trek? Is there anybody here that is strong enough to do that? It takes a special kind of character to walk with God. The majority absolutely simply cannot do it and they will not do it i wonder if you will would you bow your heads